You're listening to the Magnum version of the Savage Lovecast, www.savagelovecast.com. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual So I was in New York City last week on my book tour and I was having dinner with some people I knew and some people I didn't know very well. And the subject of the mayor's race came up and Anthony Weiner. Now, Anthony Weiner is the unfortunately last named U.S. representative who was drummed out of Congress uh, after some pictures that he'd tweeted out to some followers and fans surfaced. And they were pictures of him shirtless and they were pictures of his dick hard. And at the time when he was basically hounded out of Congress for sexting with strangers and flirting, people said that he had a sex addiction and this and that. And I said, no, he had a computer and a dick. And when you put people with dicks in front of computers, sometimes dick pics happen and it's not all that uncommon for people to flirt and for politicians and celebrities to be needy exhibitionists. Not all that uncommon and I didn't think he should be hounded out of Congress for it. We didn't hound – David Vitter out of Congress, the Republican senator from Louisiana who was seeing prostitutes, was calling the D.C. madam and making appointments to see prostitutes when he was a congressman from Congress, from the floor of the House of the Representatives. We didn't hound him out but we hounded Anthony Weiner out for on his own time flirting with some strangers that he was never going to meet. This was a sex scandal without sex. This was a masturbation scandal. This happens. People go online. They meet people. They flirt. They sex. They jerk off. They jill off and they're done. And so he wasn't cheating on his wife. He was just doing something that a lot of people felt was deeply creepy. Now he's back. Anthony Weiner is running for mayor of New York City. And I'm sort of not taking a position on who should win. I'm not making an endorsement, not that my endorsement really matters in the mayor's race. Christine Quinn, uh, who is a lesbian and has been a foot soldier for Bloomberg for years and the president of the New York City Council, um, is also running and a lot of queers are very excited about Christine Quinn's candidacy. Uh, I am too. That would be crazy. That would be great. A lesbian mayor of New York. Wow, that would be amazing. But part of me really hopes Anthony Weiner wins. To shove this shit down everybody's throats, that you know, to put it out there that you can have a dirty picture get out there and surface and your life isn't over. You don't have to be ruined. You don't have to hang your head in shame and slink off and be disgraced for the rest of your life because you have genitals and because you did something horny stupid. Who hasn't done something horny stupid? We've all done horny stupid shit. It's just now in this new era with – cameras on all of our fucking phones with a, a porn production studio in everyone's pocket and the worldwide internet, our horny stupid moments get out there. We sext, we take pictures, you know, we go online maybe and we do a, a dirty chat with somebody and they take pictures un, unbeknownst to us because we're too stupid to know that people can do that and they get out there. I'm not saying that's happened to me but that's happened to people I know and what are you going to do? And we have children who are growing up with these porn production studios with their phones in their pockets and in the future, in 10 or 20 years, basically everyone, our children. This is what I said to this woman. I said to this woman, I hope Anthony Weiner wins so that in the future, our children, my kid, if this happens to my kid, that his life isn't over and that maybe this will help with the slut shaming of girls who have pictures of them get out, who are then hounded, hounded out of school, in some cases hounded to death by slut shaming assholes. Maybe this will help. Maybe if Anthony Weiner, who was slut shamed out of Congress, smut-shamed out of Congress, wins this race. 
It'll turn the tide and everyone will grow the fuck up. Just like we grew the fuck up about politicians smoking pot. Once upon a time, if you ever admitted to smoking pot, you couldn't get elected to anything. Our last three presidents, Clinton, I smoked but I didn't inhale, ha ha ha. George Bush, everybody knows that man was a coke fiend in the 80s, widely acknowledged, used and smoked everything but couldn't of course say it. And now Obama who said, I smoked and I inhaled, that was the point. Right? So we had this little arc on drugs. We kind of reached a cultural consensus. We got the fuck over it. We need to get on that same sort of arc. We need to make that same journey on sexting, on dirty pictures being out there in the world because our kids are all going to have these dirty pictures out there in the world. We can't let the status quo remain what it is, which is dirty pictures get out there in the world and you are slut-shamed to death and driven out of Congress and ruined perhaps, potentially, professionally, financially, socially, ruined because of dirty picture because you know what? All of our kids are going to have dirty pictures out there online, little time bombs waiting to go off in their futures. Do you want to live in a world where your kid has that hanging over his head or her head, all her or his life? No, you don't, which is why if you're in New York, you might want to vote for Anthony Weiner. You might want to see that man win so we can put an end to this bullshit, this persecution of people who make a mistake in front of their computer when they're horny because you know what? Who hasn't? And each and every one of our kids today, teenagers and younger, they're all going to do it. And they're going to do it long before they get elected to Congress. They're going to do it now. And what I, you know what I want for my kid? If he makes this mistake, if he makes the wiener mistake, I want him to be able to shrug it off. I want him to be able to say, yeah, that happens. That happens. Don't you want your kid to be able to say that? When I said this at this dinner party around the table, half the people – at the table, what? Ew, gross. We could never vote for him. Yuck, awful. Ew, look what he did. And I asked them, Do you have kids? Do you have, how old are your kids? 13, 12, 15, 17. It's like, Your kids are doing this. Your kids have done this. Do you really want this to stand? You really want them to be ruined if and when the pictures that they have sent to their girlfriends and boyfriends get out there into the world? Do you really want that to be the way it is in the future for them? Ruined? Like Anthony Weiner was ruined? No, you don't. So if I lived in New York and I was a voter and I had kids, I'd vote for Wiener for that reason alone. And now your calls. Hi, Dan. Um, I'm a 20-something-year-old straight male from the Pacific Northwest. Uh, earlier tonight, I was out and at a bar met a girl. Initially, I was very attracted to her and enjoyed our conversation. However, as time passed, uh, she became increasingly negative towards me, but more importantly, at least my perspective, towards other people at the bar, make negative comments about other people's appearances, personalities, and outfits, and that, to me, was a big turnoff. As it became more and more clear that things weren't going well, I excused myself from my conversation and, and soon left the bar. As I walked down the street, she, from the bar, uh, actually shouted uh, rude, offensive, and even homophobic things at me uh, because I didn't want to spend any more time with her. I got about halfway down the block before overcome by a sense of either ego or overactive justice. I turned around and walked back. I walked up to her and said, hey, just so you know, when we first met, I was actually very attracted to you and taken by your personality, uh, your charming charisma. However, your negativity towards me and towards other people in the bar actually 
became a huge turnoff. I wish that you would have just been a little bit more yourself and a little bit more secure in who you are and didn't have to resort to making fun of other people. I feel bad about this because it was clear that this hurt her feelings um, and that this really kind of took her down a few notches. Was that fair? Was I being vindictive? More importantly, just generally, is it fair to be honest with someone you very, very recently met, just met, is it fair to be honest with a stranger about how you feel about them when they're forcing the issue? She wanted me to come back with her and was making it very clear that she was interested in just going somewhere. But for me, I just was so turned off by her personality. Should I have just let it be? Is it fair to be that honest with a stranger? Well, aren't you nice? You met this person. She was attractive. You sat with her. Turned out, bitch, be crazy, and she's nagging on everyone, which is what the pickup artists call it. I don't know why that would be an effective pickup artist strategy, but apparently it is for some. And she was just being cunty. And I'm using that in the British sort of Australian sense where it's not sexist at all and I'm not referring to vaginas at all. She's just being cunty and that was a turnoff for you and you left and then she chased you down the street and called you a fag and blah, blah. And now you're wringing your hands about whether you did something wrong by turning around and telling her that – Basically, lady, you shit the bed that the way you behaved was a real turnoff and so goodbye. You worry that you hurt her feelings. Sometimes people need to have their feelings hurt. Good you hurt her feelings. It sounds like she needed it. She needed to hear it at that moment that whatever she thinks she's doing as a mating strategy, it's a pretty fucking shitty one and it didn't work on you. Maybe it worked on some other guy. Maybe it has worked on other guys who just sit there with her and start tearing other people up and think that's just a delightful way to pass the evening with someone they want to put their dick in. But it didn't work on you and I don't think it's going to work on many other people either. And so she needs to hear that. She needed that kind of immediate feedback. And when she chased you down the street calling you a fag because you didn't want to sit there with her anymore and listen to this shit or be subjected to this shit, you had every right to turn and tell her what was on your mind. Now, as is always the case with calls, we only have one side of the story. You know, maybe it wasn't as bad as you make it sound. Maybe you were a total dick to her and drew it out. It does. I don't think so. Not in this case. You don't sound like you're capable of dickishness. I don't think you have dick in you. So you did the right thing. You gave her some instantaneous feedback that she needed, and hopefully she's somewhere butt sore thinking about it, and she'll resolve not to be so crazy, negative, awful to people in future. Hopefully. Hi, Dan. I am a 22-year-old female attending university near Seattle, and I had just a quick question. I don't know if I'm in the right or the wrong, what I should do. Um, Just a quick backstory. I've been seeing this guy for about three months, and um, I really like him a lot, and I think I might be in love with him, but I'm not really sure yet. Anyhow, the sex is really good. However, I am unable to get there. I cannot have an orgasm with him via penetration. I can, when he goes down on me, um, even a hand job, but for some reason, I just can't get there. I use my hands. um, We try all different kinds of positions. I'm not really sure what to do at this point. And I told him that there was a point where I was getting really upset about it and really worked up and I was overthinking it, like, oh no, like this is the end. But, I like him enough to 
give him the benefit of the doubt, and it's only been three months. I've told him that I get frustrated when I don't get there. So should he just do something about it after he finishes? Like, should he go straight down there? See, I feel gross saying, like, get down. Like, <laughs> give, me, give me a little job right now, right after you came inside of me. How do I have an orgasm? And is it demanding to tell him to go down on me? So the sex is great, except you're not coming. And he doesn't seem to give a shit that you're not coming because he isn't inquiring about your orgasm after he has his. And you feel too inhibited to advocate for yourself and stick up for yourself and insist that you get yours before or after he gets his. So here's what you need to wrap your head around. I'm surprised you're a listener, frankly. You couldn't call the show if you hadn't been listening. But if you've been listening for long, you would know this because we've talked about this a lot. 75% of all women, all women cannot come from vaginal penetration alone. They require additional focus stimulation to the glands of the clit, to the exposed part of the clit, in addition to getting fucked in order to climax. And some women can't climax while they're getting fucked. They need to be eaten out or jilled off or whatever before or after. And you're one of those women and good for you. And so you either need to be playing with your clit as he's fucking you. Who knows? Maybe you can climax during vaginal penetration while he's fucking you if you are also touching your clit and stimulating yourself as you might when you were masturbating while he fucks you or if he's touching your clit or if you're using a vibrator on yourself while he's fucking you or if he's using a vibrator on you while he's fucking you or if you manipulate each other into different positions where his body is positioned in such a way that you're getting a grind from him directly on your clit during vaginal penetration. Da -da -da -da. There's lots of ways you can get there. You can try to like jerry-rig that orgasm for yourself during vaginal penetration so long as you're getting that additional clitoral stimulation that you need. But you're not getting it. And he doesn't seem to care that you're not getting it, which for me says that's not great sex. And that's not a great sex partner. But maybe you appear to be getting off. Maybe you're faking orgasms for his entertainment and to soothe his ego. And maybe he's as young and inexperienced as you are and he doesn't realize you're coming. You have to tell him that you're not coming. Now, asking him to go down on you after he's come inside you and maybe you should be using condoms since you've only been together three months. Maybe he shouldn't be coming inside you at all and I hope you're using some form of birth control, uh, perhaps hormonal birth control, but still at three months coming inside you, whatevs, maybe condoms would be a good option there. But you know, if you feel inhibited about asking him to go down on you after he's come inside you and for a lot of straight guys, that's a high bar. They don't want to eat their own jizz out of a freshly fucked pussy, right? Maybe he could go down on you and get you off and get you coming before he fucks you. Maybe he can fuck you for a little while and then go down on you. You can take an oral sex break mid-fuck and he can fuck you for a little while and then he can go down on you and give you an orgasm and jump back up and stick his dick back in you. And maybe you'll have another orgasm while he's fucking you. Once you have one, you can have more. That's the secret super magic, super duper superpower of lady orgasms is the more you have, the more you can have. A woman is – biologically, physiologically, technically insatiable. You can go and go and go and go so long as you're aroused. So why not have – why not put that on the table and say we need to get me off and get me going at least once before you have your pathetic, solitary, solo, disabling male orgasm and then collapse into a heap beside me on the bed. And that, you know, uh, going to throw a bone to the boned guys out there. Going to throw a bone to you, to the guys who are listening. It isn't, you know, this sexist asshole move that guys, after they come, kind of get sleepy, dopey, and collapse. That is by design 
When a guy has an orgasm, his body releases his prolactin. It's a hormone that puts him to sleep basically. It makes his dick go down and deflate and it makes him sleepy and tired. It's not that guys are selfish and they had their orgasm and they're done. Their body is saying, system shutting down and he'll be back in 15, 20 minutes if you nudge him in the ribs and he comes back. But I know from my own personal experience that a guy can come and you can like battle against that sleepy shit and get your partner off. Simultaneous orgasms are really rare in straight sex and gay sex. Usually somebody comes and then the other person has to sort of will themselves to stay in the game a little bit, keep their sex face on even if they're not feeling particularly sexy anymore because they came. We're talking about guys here, not girls. Girls are insatiable. Guys are one and done. And get that other person off. Give him the info that he needs. Ask. If he tells you I can't go down on you after I've come inside, you suggest that he wears a condom. Suggest that at that moment when he's about to climax, he pull out and come somewhere else so that your pussy is semen-free and he's not going to catch the gay going down on it after he's fucked you and after he came. You have lots of options. Get on them. Everything I've just said, all that shit should be covered in basic sex education classes and it isn't because we can't talk about pleasure and we can't talk about lady orgasms because those are specifically for pleasure and really nothing else. But there's a lot of sexual incompatibility or a lot of sexual disconnect from ignorance that gets blown up into sexual incompatibility and sexual unhappiness and frustration because we can't talk about this shit that's so important, that's so crucial to young people, young straight people who are just starting out on their sex lives. How to get each other off, how a lady orgasm works, how a, how a guy orgasm works, what you got to do to stay in the game for your partner's pleasure. We're not allowed to talk about pleasure when we talk about sex. Ed. So you get women who are adults, 22 years old you are, get women who are adults, who are sexually active, who don't know how their own pussies work. When it comes to pleasure because that's not covered. Rolling a condom onto a banana, I bet you're an expert at that. That was probably covered repeatedly. How your pussy works, how you get off, what you need, that only 25 percent of women can come from vaginal penetration alone. They leave all that out and then you wonder why your sex life doesn't work, why it sucks, why you're not getting what you need and deserve and want because it's not happening by accident because you're not being hit by lightning in the form of his dick. It's very sad. Hi, Dan. I am a 23-year-old female. Uh, seeking relationship advice. I've been seeing this wonderful person who is a male in his late 20s. We've had a polyamorous relationship together for two years. Uh, well, two and a half now, but that gets a little complicated. We were together for two very happy years, and he totally changed my mind on relationships, and I saw really a lot of potential uh, for him to be like a lifelong partner. But I'm young, and I wanted to sort of go on this journey of self-discovery, so I ended up breaking it off uh, about six months ago. And he's been seeing this girl who he was seeing before we split up. We've uh, been polyamorous. Um, and they're still seeing each other, and now I'm here seeing him for the first time in six months and seeing her as well. She's a wonderful person, and he's great, and we're all very happy, but... I am not really feeling the same sort of feelings that I felt for him when I when I left six months ago. Uh, I'm not feeling much of anything at all. I'm not feeling any sort of jealousy that I used to feel towards this other woman. I'm not feeling the love that we used to have. And I'm wondering if I'm just shutting myself down as a protective mechanism to keep myself from getting hurt and make it easier to leave again because I really like being uh, single in my young 20s. But I'm not sure if it's time to call it quits or not because I don't want to jump the gun um, and sort of limit the possibility of getting back together in the future by saying I don't feel anything right now. 
I'm just not really sure when to know that it's over. So one of two things are going on here. Maybe you are to protect yourself emotionally from the poly dynamic and whatever feelings of jealousy or insecurity or competition with this other girl and blah, 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 blah. You're shutting down and hardening your heart and sort of pushing him out to protect your fifis. Or maybe this relationship is just over. Maybe it just ran its course. Maybe you're just not into him anymore. And the whole poly dynamic is a dink. That these things sort of happened simultaneously. Uh, maybe you would be having these feelings if you'd gone away for a few months and had come back and you guys had been doing the long distance thing and not seeing anyone else and just that time away cleared your head and you realize he's not the person that you want to be with. Occam's razor, the more obvious answer, the less complicated answer is almost always the correct answer, leads me to believe it's option two. That maybe you're just not into him anymore. You're young. You were dating him. It ran its course and it just happened as it was running its course, as it was winding down that he began seeing somebody else and you guys were experimenting with the poly thing. Why don't you just break the fuck up? If you're meant to be together, if the breakup was the wrong move and he's still in love with you and you're still in love with him, in a few months, maybe you'll circle back around and get back together. You'll run into each other when he's single or he has an established relationship with somebody else. That doesn't seem to threaten you anymore and you want to get back together and your passion will reignite or maybe you'll just be done. Sounds like you're kind of done with him and you can tell yourself some sort of elaborate story that incorporates the polydynamic into it and, and really implicates the polydynamic in the winding down of this relationship or you can tell yourself a simpler story and just say I was done. I wanted to – I ended it because I wasn't feeling it anymore. Maybe that's because of the other girl or maybe it's because you're 23 years old and you dated him for a while and he's not who you're destined to be with the rest of your life. Hey, Dan. Um, I am a 25-year-old girl living in the Northeast, and I just have a question, sort of just advice about internet dating, particularly through the website MetLife. I recently met seemingly great guy on there. We sort of messaged through the site, then we quickly progressed to texting and talking on the phone. I've only talked to him on the phone once, but I'm feeling like I want to meet him. Um, I prefer just to meet people quickly and determine if we have in-person chemistry uh, right away instead of just sort of like prolonging the online relationship thing. So, um, but my, my, my question is, is, do you think it is safe to meet someone through FetLife? Because um, I am on the site and I don't think I'm a crazy person, but it seems like everyone I talk about meeting someone through this website thinks that that's the stupidest idea on the planet and that everyone on that website must be a serial killer. And this guy uh, claims to be uh, a lawyer uh, living in Manhattan, doing his thing, and um, he says he went to good schools, and I just, I believe him, and he seems really, really great, and he's looking for more than just sex, which is what I'm looking for, so I want to meet him. But um, I'm afraid now after talking to so many people and besides, you know, obviously meeting in a public place and having someone call me in the middle of the date in case they need an escape route, what, what, are, what are your thoughts on this? Do you think that that life is only for crazy people and that um, I am in fact crazy for thinking that a well-to-do lawyer could actually be on there? Or do you think that the concerns my friends have are legitimate and that I shouldn't be? having anything to do with this guy because I met him on this website. 
Joining me by phone, Molina Williams, also known as the Perverted Negress. She's the co-author of Playing Well with Others, your field guide to discovering, exploring, and navigating the kink, leather, and BDSM communities. Um, thanks for jumping on the phone with me, Molina. Hi, Dan. So excited to be here. I really enjoyed your book, and we got some basic Thank kink, you. getting into the kink scene questions, and I wanted you to field them with me. But really, I wanted to have you on to say... Thank you, because everyone yells at me that my new book, American Savage, the subtitle is too long, and you have a longer subtitle than I do, and that's rare. We do, actually, and our publisher was tearing out her hair about it, and we said, look, it is a mouthful, but we are all about being inclusive, and if we had said just kink, then the leather people would have said, well, what about us? And we said BDSM, then the kink people would have felt left out, so we're all about throwing our arms open to as many freaks and pervs as we possibly could. <laughs> now, let, let, let's talk about this question. You know, here we have somebody who's obviously kinky, wants to get in, wants to meet people. She's gone on FetLife. And, you know, her basic question is, is FetLife safe? And are there, is any, you know, can I believe that someone is who he claims to be on FetLife? What's your impression of FetLife? Yeah. And for the people out there who haven't heard of it, what is FetLife and, and how is it regarded in the kink community? Okay, FetLife is one in a series of social networking sites that's geared specifically towards kinky folks. And there's been a history of this happening. You know, when the Internet first started, you had alt.sex.bondage, which was a bulletin board, and that was one of the ways that I first got online. And you had IRC chat, and then you had alt.com, which was an offshoot of Adult Friend Finder. You had colony.com. You had all these various sites, some that were more or less popular. FetLife uh, is the current sort of uh, heavy hitter in the field. It's a lot like Facebook, except it's all black and dark and red, and you know, <laughs> so that you know it's it's freaky when you first log in. It's, you know, I, you know, I have heard I have heard it referred to as the Facebook of kink. It is, it is, and it gives you the opportunity to put up a profile. You can put as much or as little information as you like on it. Uh, what's interesting about the question is the idea that that the friends of the caller are saying, "Well, everyone's freaky." As of today, and I'm looking at the site right now, there are two million one hundred forty-seven thousand twenty-three people registered. Wow. Let's chop off. Let's chop off thirty percent of those as duplicate or dead accounts. Uh, let's chop off another twenty percent just for for shits and giggles. So there's at least a million and a half people who are out there. Statistically, the likelihood that all of us are sociopaths, psycho killers, and that you're going to wind up in a barrel buried in New Jersey is statistically pretty low, I'm thinking. So, so you, you have a profile on FetLife? I do, I do. If you look up Molina, I'm, I'm one of those people who's totally out. Uh, I actually was a fairly early adopter of FetLife because as someone who's an educator and visible in the community, I want to be on the front lines of whatever is going on. And I just want to, and, pin, you, wait, I want to pin you down. So you're on FetLife yeah. and you have never murdered anyone. I have not murdered anyone. Uh, You're not weaseling out of this on a technicality. Like you, you have never. Are you? Are you? Are you saying I haven't murdered just one person because you're a serial killer and you've murdered dozens of people? No, actual human beings have been harmed in the in the, in the course of, of my life uh, without their consent. Okay, course. so th- this is a common. Uh, you know, there are a lot of fakers and liars online. There are a lot of fakers and liars in life. You can meet a serial killer in a bar. I, I have said on the show before. You know, I have a friend that. Jeffrey Dahmer ate. They met in a bar. Like meeting face-to-face that first time is no guarantee. A lot of people meet online. A lot of kinky people meet online. And you have to use your brain meeting anyone anywhere. And people can lie and misrepresent themselves. So you have to do what? What's your advice to somebody who says this person, this is who he claims to be. He wants to meet. I want to, you know, we have a sexual connection, obviously. Mm -hmm. What What are my next steps? What's your advice to a newbie like this caller? 
my advice is to take it the way you would take meeting anyone else and up it maybe a little bit. Because, for example, if I meet someone online, I'm like, hey, let's have lunch, and we're meeting in a restaurant, I'm not necessarily giving them my name, address, social security number, and next of kin. I'm meeting them for lunch. I'm seeing how we vibe. I'm taking a look at the body language. I'm seeing how we connect. And I would do that several times. I am not going to meet someone offline, walk into their house, and let them blindfold me and tie me down. Mm-hmm. That's ill-advised uh, for anybody at any point. That is, that is a, an opinion I hold very strongly. I encourage people to take their time in the same way that if you met someone uh, and you decided that you wanted to hook up with them, and I, I'm a fan of hookups. You know, I have had a, an illustrious career of uh, Craigslist hookups and had a really great time with those. Uh-huh. But the fact of the matter is I use a great deal of common sense in that. I check the person out. I uh, get their name, see if they have an actual footprint online. Can I find them on Facebook? Can I see if they blog? Can I find them on on any other social media? It's not too much to ask someone who wants to tie you up or get you helpless for their real name, their real phone mm-hmm. number, where they really work. Yes. You can set the bar a little higher, particularly if you're a kinky woman. I think you can set the bar pretty high because kinky women are outnumbered by kinky men in the kink scene by, in some estimates, 100 to 1. And you can be assertive. You can be assertive. And the thing is, there's a, there's a, a fallacy, I believe, that people have that submissive women are just a little flock of sheep running around bleeding, waiting for the wolves to come and tear out our, our trembling, delicate throats. But the fact of the matter is most of the submissive people I know are, are very self-actualized, are very much conscious and conscientious about their own well-being and about taking responsibility for their safety. One of the cool things about being involved in the community is that if you do decide this person is so hot, they have to tie me up right now, you can actually find a safer way to do that. Most cities have kink events or clubs where you can go and be around other people. And so let's say you're doing a bondage scene and something doesn't feel right to you and you give your safe word, which is a signal that everything should stop, and you say red, there are people called dungeon monitors, so that person will step up and check in to make sure that everything's okay. So we, as a community, have set up some degree of safety nets. Again, this is no guarantee that things could not uh, go awry, but there are ways to, to, to mitigate that damage. It's like if you're going rock climbing for the first time, you're not just going to climb in your gym locally and then say, you know what, next week, Kilimanjaro, we're off, let's go, let's do this. I have a friend who uh, is going to... Uh, Vienna, and he's going to play with this guy who's mm-hmm. a kinky top, and he's very excited about it. But he's yeah. never met this guy before, but he went on um, not FetLife, but Recon, which is a kink site for gay guys. Absolutely. Yeah. And he didn't just have a conversation with that guy. There are friend links. He talked to all the guys that that guy was friends with, and he mm-hmm. got their uh, okay, that they all vouched for him. Is there, yeah. Are you, people able to do the same on FetLife? Can she contact this guy's friends? On FetLife, you certainly can see who that person interacts with. And the thing is that in addition to interacting with that person, I can say, this person lists these 50 people as their friends. I can talk to them and say, do you know this person? If you haven't played with them, if you haven't interacted with them, do you know someone who has? Because, of course, if someone asks me for references, I'm not going to give them the reference of the person I dumped horribly whose heart I broke. I'm going to give them the shiny, happy people in my life. So Uh with a bit of due diligence, you can... Due diligence, and I want to underscore time. You can take your time and do a little more legwork. There have been people I've gone two and three degrees of separation from to get references on. 
Uh, if someone's been around in the scene for a while, they've met people. Probably they've been to a munch, which are these informal kink gatherings where kinky people who are interested in each other can meet in a very low-key environment. If they've been to a party, if they've been to an event, if they've been to a couple of classes, you can reach out and say, well, this person knows that person and do a little bit of networking. And again, I can't state this enough, there's no guarantee, but once you get your feet under you and you get a feel for it, and you really, really take your gut instincts at heart. I discourage people from coming into the community and just dropping trowel and saying, yes, I'm here, everything is fantastic, let's go. You've gotten to this point in your life using your instincts and your savvy. Keep it on you at all times. And be as diligent as you want. And ask as many questions as you want. And if someone says to you, you're asking too many questions, or I don't need to tell you that, red flag. You know, if that's the information you need for you to feel comfortable, make sure that you damn well better get it. Any other red flags that she should watch out for as she thinks about meeting with this guy or actually meets up with him? Yeah, I would say watch out for someone who insists on removing control from you immediately. Um, It should be definitely at your pace. It should be on your terms if you are the person who is giving up power. And also make sure that they are traceable. If they say they're going to call you, that they call you. Little things like... Uh, uh, there's so many people I know who will give you a cell phone number and then they won't tell you where they work or they'll give you a work number but not give you a personal number, all that sort of, are you hiding something from someone else or trying to hide something from me? Uh, If someone is very new in the community, they might not have a lot of references and that's fine too. That doesn't mean that they are an unreliable person. Uh, People trying to rush you, people trying to isolate you, people trying to bully you, people trying to tell you that your limits are silly, or that you are being overcautious. Anything that feels like pushing or coercive behavior, uh, I encourage people to back away from, take a deep breath, and really check out where this person's coming from. Great. Uh, can you stick around for a couple more calls, Melina? Absolutely. Hi, Dan. I'm a 26-year-old street female living in the South, and I was calling because a friend of mine found out fairly late in life, not late in life, but certainly not when she hit 18, that she was into BDSM and being a writer when she was talking to me about how hard it was to figure out that she was into that and how to get into it. And then seeing her once she had managed that and that she like slowly became more comfortable with herself, I immediately like was like, oh man, there should totally be a blog out there for people who, you know, are curious about it and want to learn more about it. And I was just wondering if there's already one out there that exists or if I should encourage my friend to write one. Thanks. So, Melina, blogs uh, out there, just one. When When is someone going to finally start the first BDSM blog? Like there's this blogging thing. It's been big for about 10 or 15 <laughs> years. And there just don't seem to be any BDSM blogs online. When is the BDSM community going to get its off its ass and start blogging? I'm dying because I'm sitting here going, did they even Google BDSM and blogs? Because if there's <laughs> one thing perverts will not stop doing, it's talking about ourselves. There's this great <laughs> article in The Onion uh, that's like, you know, kinky couple friends bored of hearing about their kinky sex life. And the article goes on, it's like, we're really tired of hearing about how Kim and Steve got flogged the other weekend, said their coworker rolling his eyes. It's like, we can't shut up. Yeah, whatever new uh, technology there is, the kinksters have rushed in to run their mouths about it, their kinks. We're the second people there, you know. It's like who are the first people there? The cats. The cats oh. are first. <laughs> Cat blogs, <laughs> lol cats, and then kinksters. And it's funny because because one of the things that I find really wonderful about blogging is that it is so democratic. 
And you can get everything from a blog that's just, here's a spanking blog, to as specific as I have a fetish for sitting on and popping balloons, and here's my Tumblr feed of hot chicks sitting on and popping balloons. And you can get as fine-grained as you want, and that's what's so wonderful about it is that doing a search and digging as deeply as you want will really help you find uh, a lot of really great stuff. And if you actually go on FetLife, you'll see that a lot of the kinksters on FetLife have not only their FetLife profiles but also their personal blogs. But do you have uh, any recommendations for a beginner blog that might be good for someone to to go go to first and and read about BDSM? Yeah, I would say uh, one of the... uh, Places that I go to look, there's two, there's two blog roles. There's uh, thesexcarnival.com and uh, betweenmysheets.com. Those, have a, those are big blog roles, and those are places you can go and just sort of jump in and get your feet wet and see what's happening. Uh, I have a blog role on my blog, so you can go check that out. What's your blog? Oh, my blog is Melina, M-O-L-L-E-N-A.com. And uh, if you go to, uh, there's a bdsmlibrary.com, has a list of a lot of erotica, because a lot of folks are sort of figuring out what they like. And if you check that out, it'll give you some recommendations of uh, what gets your crank turning. Looking at kinky, freaky stories, I find it's a really great way to help to direct you towards the people who are doing the stuff that you already want to do. So I find that really helpful. And uh um, Sexes Magazine at EdenFantasies.com has a lot of informational blogs. It's less uh, personal life story stuff, but it's a lot of really good articles and info um, that they have archived there. So I would check that out as well. Hi, uh, this is just a comment in regards to uh, your discussion with Mistress Matisse on episode 343. Uh, I found it really interesting you guys were talking about when should someone disclose about their kinkiness and all this stuff. And actually... I live in Montreal. It's a pretty kinky city, and I've ended up dating people who are a lot more kinky than me on a number of occasions. And I would say that one of the things that really is a big turnoff for people who aren't as kinky as the other person is that it seems like it seems like a fixation a lot of the time early on. And like I feel like I would be a lot. I'd be willing to do a lot of different things. I'm GGG, but. You got to get comfortable with the person. You got to, you got to, you know, take your time, ease into things. Uh, you know, I'd be willing to try a lot of things, but just not so fast. So I think that when people who are kinky uh, are with an, uh, a partner who's who's less kinky, they should just try to ease into things because I know I've had the experience in the past of, of getting, you know, turned off by someone coming on too strong with kinks because you're just like, oh, you know, can't we just have a good time and, you know, we'll, we'll get to that type of thing. And, you know, maybe that's boring or whatever for that for that uh, kinky person and maybe they just, you know, can, can go date someone who's more kinky. But anyway, just, that's, just, that's just my thought. I thought it would be pertinent. Thanks. I love what that guy said in his call when he's talking about mm-hmm. these kinksters, that he is a less kinky person or a vanilla person dated, where they're busting out their kinks perhaps too soon and they're rushing him. And his response is, oh, can't we just have a good time instead of doing these kinks, which, of course, to the kinkster, are a good time. (laughs) A little vanilla privileged there, I have to say. I don't throw the privilege word around on my show very often, but, dude, that's a little vanilla privilege because you're defining a good time as vanilla and kink as not a good time. So as, as oh, this other thing that right. you do, you know, it's like a little seasoning. <laughs> but, but I do appreciate what he says that, you, you know, there are a lot of vanilla people out there. A lot of people want to be GGG. They want to have an open mind. Sure. 
um, and they're willing to go there. Can a kinkster go too far, too fast, too soon with somebody that they're dating that's vanilla? I think that too far, too fast, too soon applies for everyone. Uh, I am a dyed-in-the-wool pervert, and I've had too far, too fast, too soon from other kinky people. I've had it in other standard relationships. I tend to swerve from the term vanilla because it has taken on a really pejorative slant. So I refer to you know that as default world stuff. Like this is the default. This is what everyone's doing, as far as you know. And then there's you know the the variations. I call them kink muggles. <laughs> kink muggles. You know the regular People world. The muggle term. I know. And so those folks, I think, are rolling along and not necessarily having had the experience of this huge epiphany. Uh, that many of us go through where you discover this thing. And it's like being a born-again Christian for a lot of folks. And so the excitement doesn't always come from the desire to push people. Sometimes it comes from the, oh, my God, you guys, I have found this new thing. It is so awesome. You have to do it. Let me tie you up and pour this jello on you. It's going to be so fantastic. And so that can seem really overwhelming for someone who's not uh, doing it. Can people push too hard, too fast? Absolutely. And something that I encourage people to do is to sort of just, you know, lay the carrot out in the clearing and let the bunny hop towards it at the <laughs> bunny's own speed. Uh-huh. You know, don't chase after the bunny and ram the carrot up its butt. That might be exactly what the bunny wants, but, like, give it a shot. to <laughs> Like, check it out itself. If people can approach something at their own speed, it feels so much better. I, I just came from a conference of uh, people who are sexuality um therapists and doctors and educators and I was speaking to them and one of the things that people were asking me was how do we how do we help couples where one person is really gung-ho and the other person isn't and oftentimes the reason that one person is gung-ho and the other isn't is because they had these desires in the stride and they were so afraid that if they shared that with the person they loved that they would run away Mm -hmm. and so part of the reason that people dump it up front is to see if you'll run and some people aren't as, aren't as graceful as they could be with that share. And so what I encourage people to do is to say, I know you want to tell them, and, and telling them soon is really great. But telling them in graphic detail about the most hardcore bloodletting scene you've ever done when you are on your fourth date might not be the best way to, uh, uh, to introduce them to this world that you find so exotic and so exciting and so much a part of your life. My, my standard advice to kinksters dating vanillas as opposed to you know, meeting people through kink websites, which is a good way and kink personalized is a good way for kinksters to find each other. But sometimes you meet somebody you know, in the normal course of life. You want to keep all your mm-hmm. dating options open, right? And so you Absolutely. might meet somebody through work or on the street or at a, a regular bar and not in fetish gear. And I think, you know, the onus is on the kinkster in that moment, if you wish to date this person who may or may not be kinky, to bust the vanilla sex out. Sorry, I like the vanilla. To bust the normal, the muggle sex out. (laughs) Demonstrate that you're really good at it. Give them a little bit of time to get to know you and then disclose. I do think you need to disclose. You need to roll your kinks out before you've had children and gotten married. Mm-hmm. After they have this impression of you that you actually care about them, you care about their pleasure, you like and are good at vanilla sex, it being with you doesn't mean there will be no vanilla sex. And right. then you roll these things out as all the other fun things we'll get to do together if we continue to click and continue to be intimate. Yeah, I, I don't disagree with that at all. And I think it's going to depend on how deeply the person's kink goes. If the person is a latex fetishist and absolutely cannot get off without rubber, um, 
that's something that's going to be a deal breaker for them. How soon do you release, uh, release details about deal breakers? If you want to get if you want to get married and have kids mm-hmm. in the next five years, how long do you wait before you let the person know that? You know, so all these things are are, are issues people have to weigh. Uh, I would say to somebody disclosing. somebody who cannot get off if they're not wearing a uh, you know a rubber latex bodysuit that. <laughs> you, 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 I think, should date exclusively through kink personal ads and fetish clubs because the odds that you're going to find somebody who wants to sign up for that uh, in the norm, you know, maybe you'll, maybe Yahtzee, maybe you'll hit the jockpot, you'll, you'll meet somebody and you'll disclose right away that you can only get off in a rubber suit and they'll say, oh my God, me too. <laughs> the odds of that happening are very slim. They so, are low, but they, they, the person might say, you know what, that doesn't hurt me and I really like you, so let's try it out. You know, one of the most successful and awesome relationships I had was with someone who personally identified, quote unquote, as vanilla, but he liked rough sex. He was incredibly bossy. He liked to be the king of his castle. He had this very 1950s, you know, uh, madman era caveman attitude towards this is my woman and she does what I say and and in my mind I was like okay that's not so far off from a dominant submissive relationship honey let's see if we can work this out oftentimes people will do stuff that they hadn't even considered before so again don't eliminate your options and how long were you dating Rick Santorum when did, when, did, when did you guys realize you weren't destined for each other? <laughs> I'm unable to confirm nor deny the identity. <laughs> Molina Williams, the perverted negress co-author of Playing Well with Others, your field guide to discovering, exploring, and navigating the kink, leather, and BDSM communities. Check out her blog at molina.com and follow her on Twitter at Molina, M-O-L-L-E-N-A. Thanks for jumping on the phone with us today. Thank you. Super awesome. Bye. Bye. Hi, Dan. I don't have a sex question. I have a family relationship question. What do you do when you have a family member, uh, specifically my brother, who's with someone who's horrible, manipulative, poisonous to the rest of our family? My brother originally called off the wedding the first time. He's recently become ill and called off the second wedding. And uh, the gal he's engaged with still, they've been together for seven years and they have a wedding coming up. It's a struggle for the whole family to be around her. Uh, we love our brother um, and want to have a better relationship with him. It's uh, gone downhill since they've been together. And uh, I don't really know what to do. don't know if it's a butt-out-of-the-situation deal or if can have my hands in it and uh, tell him how I feel and the rest of the family feels. There's not much you can do. What you ought to do, what anyone relative, friend, sibling, parent should do in a situation like this where someone you love is marrying someone noxious and toxic and shitty is you say your piece, you speak your mind and then you butt the fuck out and you let them do what they are going to do anyway. You let them make their own choices and their own decision and if your brother decides to marry this toxic piece of shit, you love and support your brother and you go to his wedding and you try to reconcile yourself to this person is your brother's spouse and you're going to have to get along with this person. She may be so toxic and so awful and this happened with uh, some friends of mine that she winds up poisoning his relationship with you and with the rest of his relatives and friends and he goes with her or goes along with it because apparently throwing all your friends and family overboard is a price that some people are willing to pay to be loved by a piece of shit. And what's really horrible about it uh, for everyone left behind is there's really nothing you can do about it but wait it out. Hope your brother comes to their senses 
and gets out eventually. It is a kind of abusive relationship when somebody cuts somebody off from all their friends and support systems and family. It may not hopefully in this case uh, be in a physically abusive relationship. Often they are or become physically abusive relationships. And the horror of other people being adults and getting to choose their own partners is that sometimes you have to watch somebody just walk off with or walk down the aisle with somebody awful. You should say your piece though, even at the potential cost of that accelerating the deterioration of your relationship with your brother and his fiance because if she really has a grip on him and has the zap on his head, he'll probably tell her about your little intervention and then she'll go to war with you and you should just back the fuck away and hope that he comes to his senses one day because you planted that seed in his head that said she is a piece of shit. And he will hopefully – some part of his brain will be observing the shitty things that she is doing and bringing to his life and one day he will get the fuck out. And then you'll be there to say, I told you so and then drop it. You can say, I told you so just once and then love and support him when he gets the fuck out. Sorry. Sorry I don't have better advice than that. You could also hire a hitman and have her whacked. But that's it. Those are your options. Speak your piece, butt the fuck out or have her whacked. But you can't have her whacked because killing people is wrong. Hey, Dan. Is it okay if you are dating a couple of guys, say two, maybe three, and it's just the getting stages of date, getting to know them and it's casual, you haven't made any agreement to be monogamous yet, but yet maybe you know that if you were to – that they are assuming that you're monogamous, that assuming that you're – not monogamous, that's not even the right word at that point, but they're assuming that – you're only seeing them. Is it wrong to let them continue to believe that? Is it wrong to tell little white lies if you're going to go on a date? Is it wrong to say you're just going out to see a friend rather than let them know that you're actually going to see somebody else because you want to continue to weigh your options and you kind of want to see um, how you feel about them, but you don't want to lose them yet at that point. Well, you could do unto others as you would have them do unto you process this question. How would you feel if you were fucking this guy and he was fucking three other women and he allowed you to assume that it was exclusive, that he wasn't seeing anyone else even if you guys had never had an explicit conversation about whether you were sexually exclusive? You might feel bad and generally you shouldn't do things to other people that if other people did to you would make you feel bad. Uh, but I want to tell you that you know people shouldn't make these kinds of assumptions. But you have a responsibility to step up and to speak up when you know someone is fucking you under false assumptions. Because the minute you realize that their assumptions are false, then you're fucking them under false pretenses. Then what was a faulty assumption on their part becomes an active lie on your part. And it's generally not a good idea to lie to your partners. You don't have to tell them. Exactly what you're doing, exactly where you're going, exactly who you're fucking. If you're fucking other people and dating other people and keeping your options open, you do have to proactively get out in front of it and say, I really like you. I'd like to keep seeing you. This is really fun. Um, I'm not ready for a sexually exclusive commitment. I'm not ready for anything really serious, but let's keep hanging out. And in that sort of vague mumbo jumbo, that vague mouth runny bullshit I just spewed out, that person will know exactly what you mean. That person will get that you're not the only person they're fucking. And once you've said that, your I's are crossed and your T's are dotted. You're good. And then if it comes up like you were fucking somebody, it's like, yeah, we're not sexually exclusive. We talked about this. 
Right? Right. And then you're golden. But right now, you're actively misleading. And your misleads are grounded in the bedrock of someone else's faulty assumptions. That doesn't make them not misleads. It doesn't make you honest because they fucked up. So am I making sense? They told me yeah, – I'm getting a nod um, from Lionel, the tallest of the tech savvy I rescued. Hi, Dan. I have a question that I really need answered. I want to know if I'm making too much of a deal about a situation. I've been seeing a young man, he's 29, for about two weeks, two and a half weeks, not very long at all. And, um, you know, we were fooling around one night. We haven't gotten to sleeping towards each other or, or anything like that. But, you know, I've clearly been aroused, and he asked me for my panties. And I didn't see anything wrong with it, so I was like, sure, you could have it, although this is the first time anyone's ever asked for my underwear. And I didn't think too much about it until a couple until a couple days ago, when he told me that his eleven uh, year old nephew and friends had gone into his room while he was supposed to be babysitting them, and they'd gotten a hold of my panties and were taking turns smelling them and tossing them to each other. And he finally got them out and got them out of his room. But then the next day, his nephew goes back in his room pulls my panties out, which has still had not been washed at this point. And this kid, this 11-year-old child, jerks off into my underwear. And I am feeling furious and very, very kind of... Exploit is not the right word, but do I have a right to be upset about this? Or am I just making way too much of a big deal? I know children will be curious. I remember being 11 and I grew up with my uncles in the house. We had uncles who lived with us downstairs in my grandparents' apartment and uncles who came and stayed uh, with us frequently. And I remember being 11. I remember having 29, 30, 31-year-old uncles and being terrified of them. And if we had gotten into my uncle's shed, uh, gone into their room, touched anything, much less their girlfriend's panties – all it would have taken was one look, one bellow, one scream, one 11, 12-year-old brother or friend thrown through a wall and we never would have gotten anywhere near our uncle's shit ever again. Um, there's something going on here. This guy that you only have two weeks invested in and I think you only got two weeks invested in a guy and this sort of freaky shit is going on. You pull the plug on that investment. You err on the side of not continuing to date someone who has some sort of fucked up, inappropriate, boundaryless, perhaps abusive relationship with his fucking nephews potentially. You're on the side of not dating that guy anymore. You flush those two weeks and that pair of panties down the toilet. But something is up here. How does he know that his 11-year-old nephew jerked off into your panties? And why would he tell you that? His 11-year-old, 12-year-old nephews got into your panties like, ew, even if that fucking happened, you wouldn't tell the person whose panties you asked for that you couldn't keep them tucked away safely as the memento of that erotic evening that they were intended to be. That somehow the panties got from your control into the hands of your nephews? Even if that happened, you wouldn't tell 
the person whose panties that happened to, that that happened to their panties. You would have more sense than to tell them that. So there's something about this disclosure that's as creepy as the actual acts themselves. Run fucking screaming. Go buy some new panties. Have nothing to do with this man ever again. He's either making this shit up because it turns him on to think about it for some reason or this shit is actually going down in his family where 11 and 12-year-old prepubescent children have been sexualized in this way and that's not a family that you want any fucking thing to do with beyond a call to child protective services. That's about as much involvement as you would have with a family in which this sort of shit goes down. Run. And how does he know this 11-year-old masturbated into his panties? Did he go and retrieve your panties later and there was mysterious gunk in there that smelled like 11-year-old spunk? Did he go to his nephew and say, hey, now, were you jacking off in my girlfriend's panties again? Like, ew. Did he see it happen and didn't stop it? Or did he have a convo with his 11-year-old nephew about it when it was too late? Either way, run. Fucking get away from these nuts, these freaks. Jesus Christ. Hi, Dan. 18-year-old girl here from Canada just finishing up high school. I'm kind of in a weird situation with a coworker, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. So my coworker is in his early 30s, and he's gay, but he's got a thing for straight guys. And we've become friends, and I sort of feel like he's trying to live vicariously through me. And I don't know if that's okay or not. So I'm the kind of girl who's down for anything, and I'm pretty horny and pretty slutty, and I enjoy myself. He wants me to sleep with his straight friends who he's into. A couple weeks ago, he introduced me to his friend, who's got to be at least 10 years older than me. And then we had sex while my coworker watched. I don't really feel like I was taken advantage of because I was consenting and I enjoyed it. So last night, my coworker texted me to invite me over to another friend's house, and he said he'd pay for my taxi there and home, and he'd give me any booze or drugs that I wanted. I didn't go because it felt too much like sex work for me, and also it would have been really risky to sneak out of my house and fill it with my parents. Anyway, I'm really into casual sex, and my coworker wants to set me up with lots of his friends. All of them are about his age, late 20s, early 30s. So I obviously wouldn't tell these guys my age. And since it's all okay in terms of consent laws, do I have some sort of obligation to tell them? I feel like they wouldn't be so down to fuck me if they knew I was pretty much a kid. So I guess I'm asking for your opinion. Is the situation with my coworker super fucked up because he's using me? Or is it a kinky thing and I just happen to be young? Or is it cool because I just like casual sex and that's what's happening? And also, is it wrong just to let these guys think I'm older and not tell them how old I am? So just so I'm clear on the details here, you're 18 years old. You're still in high school. You still live at home with your parents and your 30-something gay coworker is plying you with drugs and alcohol and basically offering your ass around to his similar-aged straight male friends that he wants to watch fuck. And you're asking me – your question for me and he's offering you drugs and, and alcohol and a little money for cab fare uh, to come and fuck these guys. And, and your question for me is whether you're doing something wrong by not telling these guys what your real age is. That's your question for me. Ah, I, I don't want to – you know, you're an adult. You're – Fucking 18 years old. You are an adult. You can have your sexual adventures. You can do what you want to do. You can make your own choices. Um, 
But I don't think the real issue here is whether you're doing something wrong by not disclosing your age to this guy's friends but whether something wrong is being done to you by this older person who is plying you with drugs and alcohol, offering you drugs and alcohol and pimping you out for all you know, these guys that he's offering you around to are paying him. Uh, you know, I'm a worst case scenarioist. I have the Judy Savage gene, which just whatever we're talking about, you you game out the worst case scenario and you contemplate that worst case scenario so that you don't sort of fall into worst case scenarios so that you can protect yourself from them. And I would just be really concerned if I were you. Exactly, you're being exploited. You want to be exploited. You're enjoying this particular kind of exploitation, and you can consent to. Objectification and exploitation and some people enjoy that and it can be fun and da-da-da-da. But you are being exploited and so my worst case scenario, Gene, is wondering just how thoroughly you're being exploited and whether you're being exploited in ways that you are unaware of and how much danger you're in. My feeling generally is that when you're with people that you know nothing about and that you've just met, that sexual encounter is riskier by design. Because you know nothing about that person, which is not to say people haven't been date raped by people they've been dating and feel like they know or even raped by spouses, which has happened, of course, and is illegal now. Didn't used to be. The Catholic Church opposed making marital rape illegal. Just tossing that out there because it popped into my head. And so my concern for you is that you may be getting in over your 18-year-old head by a lot. There is plenty of time for sexual adventures later in life. If you enjoy putting on a performance for someone, if you think it's sexy to have intercourse with someone while someone else watches and gets off on it, that's a wonderful thing and there will be plenty of time for that in your life when you're 29 and when you're 39 or when you're 25 or when you're 35. There's no rush and this – the pressure you're being put under by this guy – the other guys he's lining up to fuck you, that he's offering you drugs, just – that's not a good gay friend. That's not a good gay 30-year-old buddy to have in your life and I say that as a, a gay guy. That's not something a decent guy who has your best interests at heart even if you know part of your relationship involves an erotic element, an erotic dimension, a sexual dimension. 30-year-olds don't go to 18-year-olds and offer them drugs and alcohol to fuck their friends. Unless they're jerks. Sorry, the end, period, the end. Like maybe you guys were out one night because you hang out with your gay friend from work and you met some other friend of his and you guys were hanging out and it was fun and you had a drink and um, you know people, it got a little flirty between you and the friend and it came out that your gay friend had always had this fantasy about wanting to watch like the straight guy that you liked have sex and you were like down with it and it kind of happened. That's not how this rolled out. This was a plot – it sounds like your friend may have targeted you for this and groomed you for this. And by the time you realize you're being exploited and this is shitty, you may be in a place where you can't back out. You may be in a place where your asshole gay friend who plies teenagers with drugs and alcohol to fuck his friends, has photos that he's taken, has evidence, feels like he could retaliate if you start to say no. What if you did start to say no? Like maybe this guy is a great guy and this is all just good fun, drugs and alcohol and 18-year-olds fucking his 29, 30-year-old friends. And maybe he's a shit. And odds are he's a shit. You got to stop this. You got to stop doing this. 
You got to find age-appropriate partners and drug and alcohol-appropriate partners uh, who aren't using and exploiting you, who aren't using you as the leverage to get to watch the straight guys that they want to watch fuck and then have some sexual adventures with that person, somebody who likes and respects you enough not to use you the way this man is using you. And it sounds like you're a little aroused by your sense of sexual power, by your sense of sexual agency and control that you're doing this. And I think that's your 18-year-old not quite fully screwed on head, not quite seeing this for what it actually is, which is this isn't about your power and your sexual agency. This is about you being exploited by someone who's older and more powerful than you are. And you're being exploited sexually in this relationship for someone else's ends, not your own ends. So I hate to be daddy here, daddy Dan, wet blanket. You know, when I was 18, I was sexually active for sure. But you got to pull the plug on this. You got to stop doing this. You got to find somebody that you don't work with. You got to find somebody a little closer to your age and experience level and you got to have your sexual adventures in a way where they're yours. You're having his sexual adventures right now. You're having your gay, awful coworkers' adventures, not your own. Find your own sexuality. Find your own erotic inner life and live it. Don't take the drugs. Don't take the alcohol. Don't take the cab fare and don't take any more of your coworkers' friends' dick. Hi, Dan. I'm a 32-year-old woman from Texas. And I'm calling regarding how to deal with a past relationship where the person you're with won't acknowledge that you were in a relationship together. A little bit of backstory is that I met the woman I would call my girlfriend. Um, we became friends. Um, we had intense friendships that turned into a relationship um, and lasted just under six years. We spent all our time together and planned our lives together. Um, it really was a relationship, but... We didn't ever have sex. Um, we had both been straight in air quotes before we met, meaning that we were sort of randomly hooking up with guys, but both expressed that that wasn't really what we were interested in. Um, but we were both pretty deeply closeted and had a really hard time acknowledging the fact that we might not be straight. So we talked about this. She said that she felt like she needed to be celibate, that she didn't want to have sex. She was really uncomfortable um, coming to terms with being gay. Um, when I would mention it or when people might bring it up thinking that we were a couple, she would have a panic attack and freak out, which meant that I was very um, scared to mention it for the bulk of our relationship. Um, I, too, was very closeted and very scared myself, and it wasn't until you know, the last year or so of our relationship that I started to come to terms with it and be more comfortable with it and wanted to have, wanted to have a more open out relationship. The short story is that we were planning to move to Seattle together, um, but I needed to move away for a year first for work. And so she stayed in her town. I moved away. I came to visit her six weeks later and all of a sudden she was dating somebody else. And this person was quite the opposite of me very territorial, very jealous, um, very much wanted to push this girl out of the closet, very butch, just nothing like me. And so one I thought was my girlfriend and who I had sort of been planning my life with acted as though 
I was just a friend and just the best friend. And in fact, told her new girlfriend that I was just the best friend and expected me just to take a back seat and sort of play this friend role and step aside for this new girl. And it was all very painful and hurtful and cruel and unkind. But the problem is now um, we're about a year and a half out and she still refuses to acknowledge that I existed and that we had what we had. And you know, we have a shared friend group and I, I see her as my ex now. I see her as my girlfriend, and I, I want some acknowledgement from her that we had something, which we did. We planned our lives together. We told each other we loved each other. I mean, it was just we clearly did, and I want her to acknowledge that she broke my heart and take responsibility for it, but she just refuses to, and I've come out to not everybody um, and not my family, but to quite a few friends, and so it's very confusing, and it, it's unfair to me, and I just don't know what to do. I, I love her so dearly and I want her in my life forever. But I feel like there's this honesty problem and there's always been this honesty problem and it's just taking a huge toll. And now I'm having to sort of be part of this new lie that she's telling and it's just very unfair. But at the same time, I want her to say and acknowledge that, you know, we had this together. And even if we don't have it anymore, I just don't want to feel like I'm crazy. You're ex a fucking psycho, and so are you. Sorry, I, I don't mean to be cruel, and I, I can appreciate why you're in so much pain that you invested six years emotionally in this woman, even though you guys never ever had sex and you planned a life together and you said, I love you, and you felt that there was something there, and your ex either didn't feel that shit or was in complete denial that that shit was going on. And instead of walking away from your ex and going, wow, I dodged a bullet, that bitch was fucking nuts as evidenced – as proven by her behavior after I came back and there's this other woman and suddenly I'm – our whole relationship is stepped on the memory hole. Instead of just walking away from her and going, that bitch is fucking crazy and I'm out of here, you're bizarrely invested in receiving from her this acknowledgement that she's incapable of giving because bitch be crazy. That's all you got to tell yourself is, yeah, it was love. It was what I thought it was. It was what we both knew it was and she's too fucking crazy to acknowledge it. And then you walk away and you wipe your hands. You be done with her. Don't be her fucking friend. Why would you want to be her fucking friend? She's fucking crazy. She hurt you. She used you. She abandoned you and now she doesn't have the decency to take any responsibility for that. And you're standing there asking her to acknowledge you and take some responsibility, which just gives her the opportunity to continue to fucking hurt you, to continue to deny you those things that you feel that you deserve. And clearly this little sociopath you were with for six years isn't interested in giving you those things, probably enjoys on some level refusing to give you those things and keeping you cranked up and driving you crazy. And then you stand there going, you still love her. You still really want her in your life. Stop being such a goddamn lesbian about it. Get mad. And get the fuck away from her and come the fuck out to your family and come the fuck out, period, and meet some new people. There are other lesbians on the planet but the ones in your immediate social circle and the ones who happen to know her. And What you say to your friends in common is we were together six years. We said I loved you. We were planning a life together. We were lovers even though we never had sex. And I don't know why she's in such denial about it. And then you shrug and you drop it. Just fucking drop it. Drop the subject. Stop obsessing about it. You're never going to get what you want. See that brick wall right in front of your face? Stop pounding your face against it. Just because your ex is crazy doesn't mean you have to be crazy too. Don't let her drive you crazy. Let go. Let go of her. Let go of this 
desire to be acknowledged as the official X, let go of it because you're not going to get it. And what would it be worth to you if you did get it? Who gives a fuck? Can you buy a car with that acknowledgement? Can you buy a house with it? Can you fly to the moon with it? No. And do you really need it? You know who you were to her. You know that she's lying to herself and you know she's lying to her new girlfriend. You know she's lying to your friends and you can tell your friends that she's lying. You have a right to your own experience, your own interpretation of that relationship and those events. You don't need her to confirm it for you. Stop asking for it. Move the fuck on. Go eat some other pussy. Go find a girlfriend who wants to eat your fucking pussy. Go get goddamn laid. Let it go. Let it go, lesbian. Little lesbian, fly. Fly free, little lesbian. Let this one go. She's fucking crazy. And so long as you sit there next to her begging her for acknowledgement, for her to take responsibility, then you're crazy too. And you're going to get crazier as this goes on. As you're as you sitting there waiting for the acknowledgement that's never coming. The longer you wait, the crazier you're going to be until you're both crazy bitches. Don't do it. Don't be a crazy bitch. Go get a girlfriend who wants to eat your pussy. That's an order. Hi, Dan. I am a 27-year-old gay male from Austin, Texas. And I have a sort of a situation. I guess it's maybe a little cliche, but uh, my, my parents are incredibly conservative, of course, and uh, um, sort of self-taught. So they, they sort of they don't even get their input from the outside world so much as their own. They sort of just perpetuated themselves. Um Anyway, I came out to them, I've come out to them three times. The first time with the hope, you know, with the, I'm struggling with this and I'm going to fix it. Second time with that same thing about six years later. And then again, finally, I'm actually gay when I was 24 and I'm 27 now. Anyway, I just talked to my mom. I'm in a relationship with a guy who I love and I think we're going to be together for a long time. And so, and I've been very gentle with my parents. I've listened to your podcast for a really long time and, uh, try to assimilate your advice into my approach to slowly getting them accustomed and they're not really having it. And it's been almost three years. And basically when I try to tell my mom anything, she starts literally yelling the word, no, no, no. And I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to hear it. I'm not going to talk about it, but then proceeds to say that she knows both sides of the story already. Um, And this is coming from someone who I'm not going to say made me, but strongly encouraged me to see ex-gay therapists, which I did, to read ex-gay literature, which I did, and they still strongly subscribe to these people, even whether they know or not that a lot of these guys have actually, you know, denounced the practice or come out themselves. They were, they, I can't even tell that to them because they don't, they literally don't let me finish the sentence. The guy I'm with now, I love him and I want to introduce him to my family. And they said they're willing to meet him. What do I do? Should I do it? You say that you've been following my advice, you've been listening to the show and following my advice about, you know, as a gay kid with crazy conservative Christian parents, what to do. And I don't think that's true because my advice is always to give them a year to say every shitty thing they want to say, to get it off their chest. And then after a year, you say to them, if you can't love and accept me, I'm not going to talk to you. I'm not going to see you. I'm not going to be present because as I've said a million times on the show, as you should know, The only leverage you have as an adult child over your parents is your presence in their lives. Right. You have not pulled that trigger. Yeah, I mean, you're right. I um, I kind of hinted that I might do that, but it's kind of weird because, like, they're really loving in almost every other way, which is really confusing to me. It's Mm -hmm. just that's sort of something we've never talked about, and... But how painful painful is their rejection of this part of you, which is a huge part of you? 
um, a lot, especially now I told them about the guy that I'm dating now and it's really serious and I love him a lot. And I, I'm, I think we're going to be together for a really, really long time. And it's just hard because, like, my brother got married and my cousin, like, our family's close. And so they all get to kind of see the spouses. And mm-hmm. I kind of have to keep this guy away from them. And I, I try to, like... I was listening to you say you have this desire to introduce this guy that you love to your family. And I sat here going, why would you do that to someone you love? Why would you introduce yeah. this person that you love to these people who treat you so poorly and will treat him potentially, and most likely they'll treat him worse than they treat you. Because a lot of homophobic families, when they meet the guy who is sodomizing their son, really aren't into him. I don't know. I don't know that they would attack him at all. I just, you said when I don't you, know. You said when you mention anything gay on the phone, your mother starts screaming, no, no, no. How is she going to react yeah, to she, your boyfriend? She basically said that she would meet him. I don't know. Like, it was weird. I, she only did that sort of after she conceded finally because... Like when I was trying to tell her, you know, things that I've heard you say and things that I've read myself about, um, you know, all the ex-gay things sort of blowing up in those people's faces and all that information, she won't hear any of it. And sort of sort of start saying, no, 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 I, I've already heard it. I already know both sides. And so, but the one thing that made her concede was whenever I said, well, how is that fair that you've made me, you know, read this literature? You've made me see these therapists. You've made me do these things. Yet you won't even let me finish the sentence. And that was like the one thing that kind of made her back down at least for a second. And I don't know. I don't know what I'm getting at, I guess. Let's back way the fuck up for one second. Um, Are you okay? Are you in a good place? You have a job. You're, you're settled. You're, you're not vulnerable or dependent on your family in any way. I'm not in a great place. Honestly, I'm kind of, uh, I'm stable, I guess. And Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm actually doing a master's degree. I'm just kind of like, I've had some, depression, anxiety stuff, and I'm kind of in the middle of switching medicines, and so, like, I'm kind of... Okay, yeah, with a family like that doing to you what your family has done to you, you have a you have a pass on some depression and anxiety issues, and you yeah. should be pointing a finger at your mom and dad for instilling that in you. Kids yeah, who, and I did for a really long time. I, and what about your siblings? You say you have siblings who are married. Are, are they on your side? As far as I know, I have one brother, and he's married, and I came out to him... And at first he sort of, you know, regurgitated the stuff that we heard like the, well, I don't agree with it, but I support you. But I think, I don't know, I kind of feel like he doesn't really give a shit either way, which is good. Mm -hmm. I I don't know that he's actively supportive, but him and his wife seem to not mind, I guess. Okay. You got to pull the trigger. You do. You just have to go to your mom and say, and your dad and say, I am gay and I am never not going to be gay. If you can't love and accept me, you won't see me. I will not come home. I will not be around. You're my biological family and I love you. But if you can't love and support me like Armistead Mountain writes in the Tales of the City books, I am going to go find my logical family. And it would be nice if you were not just my biological family but my logical family too. Family loves and supports each other, doesn't condemn, doesn't attack, doesn't terrorize their gay children – or don't terrorize yeah. gay children. And if you can't love me the way you should, then I'm not going to be the son to you that I would like to be, the son that you deserve. Because you know what? You don't deserve that son if you can't love yeah. and support me. And that means treating my boyfriend with the same respect and courtesy that you treat my brother's wife with. And if you can't do that, then fuck you both. I'm out of here. And then go find people who can love you and support you and want you around for who you are and let your parents fucking stew. 
And it might take some time. You know, sometimes gay kids will do this and then, you know, three months, six months will go by. They won't hear from their parents and they'll be heartbroken. And you know what? Sometimes it takes a year. Sometimes it takes two for the parents yeah. to finally get it through their thick fucking skulls that their disapproval, that their tantrum isn't going to do anything, isn't going to change anything and they cannot control you with their anger or their disapproval. Right now your mother thinks screaming no, no, no and withholding and yelling that yeah. if she just keeps it up long enough that you'll succumb, that you'll be straight to please her and shut her up and you have got to hammer it home that that is not going to happen. And right. the only thing that can do that is you making it clear to her that you will not be loved conditionally. You will not hang around for the good parts and endure the horrible, rejecting, cruel, sadistic bullshit targeted at you because of your – because of who you love, which is so intrinsic and, and important uh, to, yeah. to the person that you are. So I shouldn't – I mean I shouldn't settle for them just saying they will meet him without – with the caveat of not acceptance. I would take him, you know, if, if your boyfriend's game, if it's not going to send him running for the hills to meet your parents, if they're not going to do something crazy, right. that can be a test. You can walk in and introduce them and if they treat him poorly and if they blow up and it's no, no, no and they freak out and they're assholes, then you turn to them and say, I'm leaving. Call me when you're done having your tantrum in a year or two mm -hmm. and call me when you can love me and I will see you then and I will love you always but I'm not going to – subject myself to this mistreatment. Okay. You've got to make, you know, this is so true for so many kids who have families that reject them. You've got to make, you know, we, we, so many gay kids, they have it in their heads that, you know, they're just flinching and cringing in fear that, the, you know, terrified of their parents' rejection. You have to turn the tables and you have to make them fear yours. Yeah. And I, I, the last time we talked, I talked to my mom was the first time I'd really done that. And I was actually thinking of you when I did it. I sort of said, like, you know, I've given you way more time than I think you need or deserve. These three years when they've been so abusive, uh, you know, since you came out for eight years, have you been going home for Christmas? Is it really important to your mom that you're home for Christmas and Thanksgiving? Yeah, that's, that's the weird thing is that we're still really close as a family in every other way. It's just we don't talk about this. And if I do... She gets really uncomfortable. Okay, and if stop I start going home. Trying, this Christmas, yeah. promise me, you're not going home. If this, the tantrum isn't over by Christmas, you tell your mom, I'm going to my boyfriend's house for Christmas. They love and accept me. That's the ticket. Yeah. That's the price you have to pay, mom. Want me around? Want to see me? Love and accept me. Let go of your prejudice, your bigotry. Rethink yeah. what you've been taught about gay people because it's wrong. And if, you can, if that's not something you're willing to do for your own son – then your son isn't willing to come home for Christmas and choke down your chow. I mean, you're right. You're, you're totally right. That's but. the sort of stuff that, that, that breaks through. There's a terrific movie. I've recommended it before. It's called Lead with Love, the movie. If you Google it, Lead with Love, the movie, you should send that link to your mother. She can watch it online. It's a 20-minute film. But there's a story. There's stories in there about families and how they reacted when their kids first came out. And there's a woman who was rejecting her son, wasn't into her son, wasn't into it, wanted to love him conditionally, love the not gay parts of him and reject the gay part of him. And she says in this film that what brought her around was the day her son said, I'm not coming home anymore. I'm not going to see you anymore. And then she was like, oh, yeah, well, I guess I have to choose now. My disapproval yeah. or my flesh and blood, the child I raised or the bigotry that I was raised with also. I'm afraid of her demonizing me because they sort of view that as like that's you acting out and being corrupt and you know demonizing me to the rest of my family 
and just sort of viewing me as the bad guy then. That like they want to love me, but I won't accept it. And I, you know, I don't know. Okay. They're, they're kind of crazy like that. Okay, so they have this leverage over you that you're afraid of being demonized for the rest of your family. Are you willing to have things continue as they are forever to avoid paying that price, to avoid being demonized for the rest of your family? I don't think I am anymore. I, like I said, I was for a couple of years. I was trying to be gentle, but especially now that I'm in this relationship and that it's been so much time and that they clearly, after talking to her a week ago, it hasn't gone and they haven't made any progress whatsoever. I think I'm just sort of done with it. Okay. I, well, this is yeah. where you stand your ground. This is where you draw a line in the sand and you say, I'm done. You had your three-year tantrum. You need to get over it. That's the price you're going to have to pay if you want to see me. Period. Okay. The end. Here's here's yeah. this movie, Lead with Love. Here's Now That You Know, a terrific book put out by PFLAG. Here's the local PFLAG chapter in your area where you can meet other parents, many of whom had the same reaction you did, who now love and accept their children. Become that parent and you will earn my presence in your life. If you can never get yeah. over it, you are choosing then to be abandoned by me. Remember, gay kid, your parents are your past. You, you are their future. Yeah. Mm. And they can be a part of that future or not a part of that future. It's their choice. But you have to be strong. How's your boyfriend's family? Uh, he, they're, they're, I haven't met them yet. I'm actually going to meet them in the next couple of weeks. We're going on a road trip. And they're apparently very accepting, like kind of looking forward to meeting me. And um, Good. So you have he, some- said, that's what he actually told me that. He's like, well, you're always welcome in my family. So You have someplace to go for Christmas. Sounds like it'll be wonderful. Yeah. How long have you been with your boyfriend? It's really just been about six months, but it's one of the best relationships I've ever been in. So, Well, enjoy. And know that there are other family. You know, if you know, six months is a good chunk of time, particularly at your age. You know, if it doesn't work out, and for some reason you guys discover that you're not destined to be together forever, stay friends, stay friends with his family, and know that there will be other men out there in your future who also have families who love and accept them, love and accept you, and love and accept them. And you don't have to settle for a family that hates you. You don't have to settle for a family that disrespects you. That you, one of the things yeah. you get to do as an adult is create your own family and build your own family. And your family of origin can be a part of that healthy, loving family that you construct for yourself or not. But they got to earn Ooh. it. Yeah, definitely. Good luck, man. All right. Thanks so much for calling. You're welcome. Right. Hey, Dan. Love your show. Uh, this call is in response to episode, episode 347 about the uh, uncle of the uh, 14-year-old boy who was asking for advice, what to tell him. Um, I agree with what you said, absolutely, except for one thing. I don't think you should tell him to tell the mother of the boy to stop snooping. You know, it's a big world out there. It's a big, scary world on the Internet. And there's, you know, there's uh, old men posing as 14-year-old girls to draw out information. There's cyberbullying. You know, that, that mother should be aware of what her kid is doing online, who he's talking to, Things like that. I agree that she should absolutely turn a blind eye to the porn. You know, the kid's going to watch some porn. That's fine. But it's her job as his protector to really keep tabs on what he's doing online. Hi, Dan. I'm calling in response to one of the callers from episode 347, the guy who called and said that there was a testosterone surge after birth, and you uh, corrected him. I'm so glad you corrected him because I thought I was losing my mind. I've been with my husband for 25 years. We've been married for eight years, and like many gay men, 
we had uh, a child later in life. And since our son was born, like sex is the last thing on my mind. Uh, I think I was hit with the double whammy of being older and, uh, and having a toddler in the house. So thanks for correcting him and putting my mind at ease. Hi, Dan. Uh, this is in response to a caller in episode 347 who asked about the line between surprise and risk in a sexual scenario. So I thought I'd share what I do with lovers that I trust. Uh, basically, I give them a list of my hard limits, the things I will absolutely not do, and then I will discuss, you know, fantasies without going into specific details. Uh, then I just leave it up to them. They might still stumble across something I find upsetting that has never occurred to me, and in that case, it would be up to me to communicate that to them. However, setting up limitations gives one a hell of a lot of room for hot, exciting surprises. Uh, I hope that made sense. My Kiwi accent is strong. Thank you. Love your show. And we're going to leave it there. 206-201-2720 is the number here at the podcast. If you'd like to record a question or comment for a future show, give us a buzz. Once again, 206-201-2720. We want to send a very special thanks to everyone out there who subscribes to the bigger, longer, and uncut Savage Lovecast. We really appreciate your support, gang. We're planning an upcoming show on faith and sexuality, on religion and sexuality. So if you have a comment, an observation, a story, a question that touches on religion and sex, or the way religion touches on sex and sex touches on religion, positive or negative, we're not just looking for negative stories about religion. We get plenty of those on this podcast. It might be nice to get a few positive spins on religion and sexuality, too. Give us a buzz and ask that question or share that story. 206-201-2720. The Savage Lovecast is produced every week by Nancy Hartunian. Follow me on Twitter at Fake Dan Savage. Buy my new book, American Savage, available in bookstores now. And me and the tech savvy at risk youth and Nancy will all be back at you next week with another installment of the Savage Lovecast. Thanks for downloading.